This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. Today's episode features an interview with Katrina Wong. Katrina is the Vice President of Marketing at Hired, a job search marketplace. Prior to her work at Hired, Katrina held senior marketing roles at technology companies like Zwara, SAP, and Salesforce. On this episode, Katrina sits down with Ian and dives deep into how to build a marketing team and how to put team members in a position to succeed. She also discusses concepts like the convergence of B2B and B2C marketing, growth mindset, and the importance of using performance language. A big thanks to Katrina for coming on. This was a really great interview. So without further ado, here is our interview with Katrina Wong, Vice President of Marketing at Hired. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have in studio, Katrina, what's going on? Hi, Ian. Great to be here. Thank you for having me on. It is really exciting to have you on. You have a super fascinating background working in a ton of B2B stuff. And we're going to talk about B2B plus B2C uh, and B2H and what that looks like today because you're at an amazingly cool company hired where you're working on both sides of B2B and B2C. So we'll get into all that. But first, how did you get into marketing? Glad you asked. I actually don't have a traditional marketing background. So both my undergraduate and graduate degrees were in the life sciences. And so I really started my career as a management consultant focused on helping companies solve problems first and then using tech. So I started my career at PricewaterhouseCoopers and, in fact, even learned to code. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yes. Uh, not very well, but certainly learned the beginnings of coding, you know, some odd 20 years ago. And then a little later after that, I realized that data was super important and I didn't understand how data structures work. So there's this extremely technical side to what I, uh, how I think and who I am. And so I ended up doing another program at Columbia, learning about databases and structures. And that's been super instrumental to my marketing career much later. Then we fast forward and I ended up at Salesforce pretty early on. And my role at the time was really managing accounts and getting our customers successful with CRM in the early days. At the time, Mark's message was really just end of software. And thinking back, it didn't really make sense to me, but it was so loud and clear, yeah. right, that I just was like, okay, I guess this is what we're about. Um, and it wasn't convincing, you know, to me initially. However, time and time again, we saw the press really pick up that message. It resonated. And before you knew it, that was the message that was being played and it created a market. At that moment, I realized, oh, wow, the power of language and the power of marketing 
creating demand. It was no longer about chasing deals. The deals were coming to us. And so when they say, when is that first moment that, you know, you fall in love and you remember, right, with your significant other, that was the moment that I remember falling in love with marketing. So that experience, you know, Salesforce in the early years changed the trajectory of my entire career. I love that. And, I, you know, I've talked about on the show earlier, and obviously Salesforce is the, is the presenting sponsor of the show, and we love mm-hmm. them. But I, I talk about, I think Mark Benioff's one of the best marketers of all time. Like, you can see his fingerprints touch so many different campaigns that they run and continue to run. But all of that stuff, all of the, like, you know, software with the red X through it, all of those things, talking about, I mean, he evangelized for Fourth Industrial Revolution more than anyone, probably. The social revolution. Yeah, social revolution. And I think that, you know, like you said, at the time when those things were happening, I'm sure you didn't probably realize the magnitude of it. But, you know, flash forward to your role at Hired, and there's kind of probably some similar things that are going on in the talent acquisition space. So I'd love for you to tell us, for those of our listeners who don't know, what is Hired and what are you working on? Uh, So Hired, we're a two-sided marketplace, and it's where through the use of intelligent job matching, we have an algorithm that will match candidates on our platform. Uh, We have over 3 million and counting uh, with top companies that are hiring. uh, Wow, 3 million. That's crazy. We have over 10,000 companies. At Hired, as VP of Marketing, I own both the B2B marketing. So this is marketing to employers, as well as the B2C marketing, and that is marketing to the candidates. So, you know, with marketplaces, they're notoriously tough to start. You know, Hired was created a number of years ago. Uh, I think, you know, for a lot of people, I, I know I personally remembered seeing a bunch of Hired stuff. I checked out the website. I think, gosh. I think it was 2014, you know, early days. And it just kind of felt like, wow, like this company actually gets it. I was actually in talent acquisition. So I especially knew. Yeah, so I especially knew. uh, I was like, man, this this company really gets it. But it felt like a company that was kind of putting candidates at the forefront of the conversation and helping candidates really figure out this thing that is, at any given moment in time, the most complicated decision in your life. Right. Mm -hmm. Like you might say, like maybe buying a house or getting married or something like that. But Mm -hmm. by and large, you know, the average, whether it's a 25 year old or trying to get their second job or whatever it is, it's such a highly important and time sensitive issue. A lot of times I was just like, man, this company gets it. It's so interesting to hear that, you know, after the years now that you've been going strong for a while that, hey, this B2B side of the business is so important. Can you kind of talk about that? Yeah, it's still very much a part of our mission to advocate for candidates. We started with just, you know, what is it that's painful, you know, for engineers during the job search? You go through this process of having to be questioned about your technical skills to negotiating salaries. So that piece of our mission really hasn't changed. So I would say for the first five years of the company, We knew, and and typically with how marketplaces work, is you invest in one side of the marketplace. So candidates, that's our supply. And as long as the supply was bought in on the value proposition and we were providing that value, the demand came. So we almost, it was really organic for the employers to come. About two years ago, and this is when the company tapped me, they knew that 
also for employers, primarily recruiters, like, you know, in your previous life, that we could add a lot of value for them as well, right? So things like building product, you know, for reporting, building a product for assessments. And so now there's this happy medium and we constantly think about not only balancing our value props on two sides of the marketplace, but also the mechanics of how to ensure that there is a balance between supply and demand. So the number one problem right now when it comes to tech recruiting really is solving for employers the lack of talent and how to actually compete competitively for it. Yeah, I mean, I think of so many different you know, touches in the recruiting process. A lot of these things were created with, you know, technology not in mind 20 years ago, you know, and then you have things that, you have social networks that have been created, you have visibility, people have their own websites, there's all sorts of things that have changed. Talent acquisition is something that for some reason has kind of remained a little stagnant, even though the technology around it has kind of escalated. The process of, you know, how much is outsourced is a huge issue. There's all these different kind of factors at play. How do you cut through the noise and make what's a pretty complicated, stress-inducing process simplified? It's really about understanding what motivates uh, candidates as they're looking for their next opportunity. We're lucky because of the data that we actually have. Uh, so for example, most salary data out there is self-reported. So there's inherent bias. We know all of this information, actual offers that go out, you know, top companies and how much they're offering candidates. So we have a lot of data to work with and to help recruiters kind of understand what is that fair salary. You know, we do uh, salary bias alerts, you know, in our application. So that really kind of eases that conversation. There's a ton of other things that we do too. You know, for example, I alluded to this earlier, for a lot of technical talent, you know, it's a phone screen after phone screen, um, coding exams, so on and so forth. And they have to do that with every single job process that they go through. Uh, so uh, recently, we've started offering assessments, and and that's also another way to you know kind of expedite and make their process a lot cleaner and a lot smoother and a lot more fair. Yeah, I mean, I I love that you talked about the data piece because I think just again historically, like this is a very confusing thing for both employers and for employees. Like employers are always looking to benchmark, and employees are looking uh, or right. you know job seekers are that's looking right. to benchmark. And it's inherently confusing. You just, especially as you look at like different size companies, like getting a job at a startup is no, is nothing like getting a job at a big company. Talk to me about the kind of converging of these two worlds, these B2B and B2C worlds. How do you market them differently or their similarities? You know, when I think about this, um, the experience that I have as a human, it's so easy and frankly, quite delightful ordering a ride these days, whether it's Lyft or Uber yeah. or some other service. When I think about solving a technical problem or a business problem, it shouldn't really be any less delightful, right? So there are ways for B2B marketers to deliver value and to educate in the same way. We've run a series of campaigns, right? 
really leveraging very traditional B2C tactics. Yeah. And um, and it's been interesting because they convert just as highly <laughs> as, you know, the traditional breakfast, VIP events, and business panels. Oh, that's um, funny. Yeah. So I think the we're humans first and uh, we've gotten picky, right? I spend just as much time on my Instagram feed <laughs> than I will on a business website researching a product. Yeah. Um, so, so very tactically, you know, we do do a lot of advertising on Instagram and it seems to convert really well. Yeah. yeah. And the marketers so love it. Like the marketers on the team just love being even more creative and just having their messages resonate with the everyday person versus just the business person. What about B to H? What mm. is that? What is this? What does this mean? I like saying B2H a lot only because it reminds me that we're human and that every single execution should really appeal to the person regardless of whether, so it sets up pretty high bar regardless of what he or she does for a living. It's proved to, oh, oh here's something that's interesting. On my team, when I first joined, there was a huge division between you're a B2B marketer or you're a B2C marketer. We've now taken that away. Oh, and no kidding. Yes. And all of our campaigns are fully integrated and it's for both sides of the marketplace. So you have a lot of cross training of skills as well. But that artificial division, I really didn't want it to be there. So in fact, we're all kind of B2H marketers. How does that kind of play out in your copy and things like that? Because you know, confusion equals no sale, right? So mm-hmm. if you have an ad that's geared towards two people, for an example, it maybe it doesn't speak to either. I'm curious to, you know, are you still running separate campaigns within that? Or is it, are you running joint campaigns? We do a little bit of both. So I can give you an example. And it's, it has everything to do with our data as well. Equal pay day is typically in April yeah. here in the US. And so that's one of our largest campaigns that we run. Should be and every day. It really, I know, and it should be maybe in January, (laughs) you know, as opposed to April. But um, no, it needs to be like December 15th. So it's like when you're prepping for, gosh, maybe it should be earlier because you need to prep for like next year's uh, budget or budget increases. But anyways, I digress. (laughs) Um, But December 15th would mean that women are actually making more. So right now there's still quite a gap. Yeah. So what we end up doing is we take that data and we start with, publishing it and doing a whole PR run. This year, what we ended up doing was creating our own micro documentary off of a candidates, you know, from our platform, seven courageous women shared their stories about equal pay. But what we ended up doing was sharing that with an audience of B2B marketers. So it, it wasn't really about our platform. It wasn't about best practices about how to recruit, Right. We were able to build this emotional connection with our B2B audience, and they loved it. We created a hashtag, nothingless.co, and ran the campaign on, you know, a microsite with the platform. And we got quite a few candidates to kind of further tell their story. And what's nice about that is, you know, in the B2B world, it's much harder to do if I were to say fully in my lane and kind of the classically trained B2B marketer. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. The way that a lot of companies look at some of these problems, I think, with you know splitting B2B and B2C running campaigns that are just completely separate, 
you know, sometimes it's kind of like you're cutting off your nose to spite your face, right? Because if you're telling the story of someone getting hired, for example, like there's two parties that do that, right? And potentially there's a lot more parties involved, but, you know, transactionally, there's two parties. There's, you know, the, the candidate that gets hired and the, and the employer. In one ad, you can tell both of those stories in an effective way. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were to go like second and third order effects of that, it's like maybe the spouse of that person could be featured in an ad. Maybe the boss of or the business unit person of the employer. So you kind of get those like second and third order effects or the people that are making a buying decision that kind of like almost account based style. You know, if you think of, you know, a family unit as an account, it could be similar to a business unit as an account because, you know, where you get a job affects where your kids go to school or where grandma and grandpa live Absolutely. or whatever it is. I'm curious to how you think about not just the two personas of the employer and the employee, but like those broader things. Do you think of things like account or I'm curious? Yes, uh, we certainly have started doing account-based marketing. You know, our CEO talks about, you know, there are two funnels that matter for business. It's the revenue funnel and it's the people funnel. Yeah. But, you know, when we think about a healthy company and healthy employees and a healthy culture, it extends well beyond just the employees. It's their support structures, both at the company and outside of the company. Um, When we do ABM uh, campaigns, we do take that into consideration how holistic it is. And oftentimes we're not just targeting the um, HR department. We will target all the different hiring managers for the different roles. And we think about, you know, what do we, like if it's a mailer campaign, what will resonate and provide value for somebody running a product management org versus somebody running an engineering org, for example. Yeah, we we love those campaigns where it's like, you know, like ask your blank about blank, right? Like ask your HR person about hired sort of a thing. I just love things that position the not in the know person, which is usually like the hiring manager who like you know, they don't know the inner workings of like what, I mean, maybe they do, but especially for a new hiring manager, right? Like that's right. First 90 days, like they don't know the HR systems that are going on. They don't know the recruiting systems. They don't know ways, especially when it comes to like advertising for candidates and all of that. It's just, it's very complicated. So to give them a resource that is, you know, something that they can like, Hey, this is what you can pass on to your team to, if you're interested in this, I think is always so interesting. You've talked in the past about this concept of performance language. What does that mean for a marketing team and how do you implement it? When you use the same language as your cross-functional stakeholders, namely sales, uh, and this is more on the B2B side, what you're really signaling is that, you know, for the marketing team, when you too hit your goal, it's, it's extremely motivating, as motivating and as coveted as sales kind of hitting their financial or their revenue goals. A big part of building high functioning teams is building a culture of accountability. And I think that performance language kind of lends itself to that a lot more. And what I found is that teams are truly more motivated when they can clearly see how they're helping the company win, whether it's day to day, sometimes even minute by minute, and, and that they're making measurable impact. How we've implemented it um, at Hire is that when we set our goals, 
our OKRs. This is getting back to just how powerful language is, right? At the beginning of the conversation, it comes down to how we express our goals and what marketing motions, you know, we use to support them. And so everyone on the marketing team carries a number, right? Oh, that's cool. Yeah, we really do. And we say things, you know, down comes down to the nomenclature. We also hit our goals. It comes down to also measuring it all within in Salesforce. So for campaign attribution, mm-hmm. um, I've put in full circle insights, but you can't even tell because it's just right in the Salesforce interface. So we run reports next to sales side by side. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So and, and also for sales, it almost looks like it's the same dashboard. I mean, literally the components can kind of sit within the same dashboard. Um, there's another concept that I talk about a lot. That's battle rhythm. Um, hey, you're, I was in the army for a decade. You're yes, I, the choir. I know that. The I know that. Rhythm. I'm like, you, you You can appreciate it. I'm here um, for it. You know, we could, you know, be hitting all of our goals, right? And doing every, you know, bringing all the great leads. But if that's off cadence from when sales can consume it, right? Either too late in the quarter, it doesn't really mean anything. So this concept of just battle rhythm and aligning metrics, aligning the language, aligning systems and how we operate is key to implementing all of that. How did you learn battle rhythm? Gosh, I've probably reported into at least three managers, right? That have either fought in, you know, Iraq (laughs) back in the day, special ops. Yeah. And um, earlier in my career, they would tell these crazy battle stories yeah. and have analogies. And half the time, I'm like, are they making this up? It, it was, yeah. <laughs> Especially, you know, this one manager, and I can't say who um, this is. He's one of my favorite managers. But yes, he was in, you know, special ops. And he's like, yeah, we fought in all sorts of secret wars. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it was, yeah, it was fun. But yeah, the, the concept of battle rhythm and... It's about consistency. It's about predictability. It's about, you know, for for soldiers, the vast majority of the time, like it's large amounts of periods of doing nothing and large amounts of period of doing a lot of stuff, right? And so if you don't have your team with a lot of predictability on when things are coming, and it's the same thing with sales. Like if you don't know what's coming, you first of all, number one, you don't know what's coming down the pipe. That's right. Ever. That's right. So, you ha- any amount of predictability that you can you can make to that is super valuable. I, I love that. That's great. That <laughs> battle rhythm throwback. <laughs> um, and and I think it's super important. You know, we talk a lot about like nested goals, but I think it's important that you use you know in this case Salesforce the exact same way that sales does, like using right. the same metrics, using the same things, having it look and feel like theirs, so that you know they're side by side. Like that stuff goes a really long way into, you know, helping marketers align with sales. Yeah, that's been really magical. I mean, that was a lesson I learned, you know, earlier in my career. If I reported in a spreadsheet because marketing just, you know, historically wasn't set up quite the same way as a CRM system set up. And um, it just didn't really mean much because it wasn't consumable by the rest of the organization. And so um, thankfully, and I believe it was, you know, quite a few marketers that created Full Circle Insights and put that into Salesforce. And that just solved a whole host of problems and misunderstandings. It seems like you put a lot of thought into how you structure and build your team. Do you have a certain like philosophy or things that you look for when you hire and then how to, 
you know, put them in the places that they'll be successful? Absolutely. Having a growth mindset is important. Mm-hmm. Um, That's in know, ours too. Yes. And always be learning, even if you're at the top of your game and we're crushing our goals, there's always learnings. And so what we've done is we've really created this culture of reflection and it's monthly retros that we do. This has pretty much been going on since day one. And it's important to take time out of our busy days at startups to do a very structured retro where we look at uh, what we've done well, where did we miss and, and why, what did we learn from it, and how do we ensure that the next time the situation arises that we're going to think about and problem solve in a different way. The team loves that. I think the other important tenant is building a diverse team. Yeah. And this isn't just, you know, what you could, you know, kind of visually tell, right? It, it's understanding that different work experiences, different work styles and different kinds of problem solvers have a lot to contribute. And that will almost, when you have a diverse team, you're forcing and almost accelerating innovation and and you're creating an environment where thinking out of the box just organically happens. Yeah, and it has to be purposeful. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. obviously, you know, you work at at a company that helps people find candidates, but I think that one of the things that people miss a lot is this idea that you have to be really purposeful to find diverse talent because otherwise like naturally you're going to hire the people that you've a either worked with in the past or b are the closest in your circles and if you're not extremely purposeful in like seeking out you know new talent and new opportunities you're just really not going to find it and it doesn't Mm -hmm. allow for serendipity right it's like that's right that's right. If you only go to one Pete's coffee shop all yeah. the time, you're only going to meet people that, you know, live within a, a few yeah. quarter miles of that place. I mean, it's a classic story of, you know, I, I can't say which startup here in the Valley, but they came to us and they said, you know, we woke up one day and all of our engineers graduated from MIT yep. uh, with an MS in computer science and we're all from the East Coast. So they're like, hmm, we need some diversity. And we're like, okay, we have a great workshop for you. We'll help. <laughs> but that's, a, I mean, that's counterculture to like what we were taught for the last 20 years. That is like, absolutely correct. Like you, yes. you hear, and this is like baked into society. If you don't go to a top eight MBA, if you don't like, you know, all these sort of stuff, which are all zero sum games. I mean, Clayton Christensen, uh, professor at Harvard was like, Harvard got disrupted by University of Phoenix. They teach 400,000 people and we teach, you know, 40,000. Like, I think that that sort of thing, I think, gives a lot of marketers specifically because so many of us, A, don't have degrees in marketing. So we didn't like study it in school. Yeah, and, I didn't. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, like um, learn by just at work. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I think that there's this level of feeling a little bit of fish out of water of like, hey, I didn't do X, Y, or Z. And the truth is, learning and being good at marketing is learning and being good at being empathetic and listening to people and listening to your customers and then figuring out, you know, what to tell them. And I think a lot of that stuff is just, you can't just say, hey, we're going to go pull from Ivy's. You can't just say, hey, we're going to go pull from Stanford GSB. It doesn't mean that those people are any more or less smart than anyone else. It just means that like, if you're looking to hire a, to, you know, get a diverse group of people, like 
you're just not going to get it. It's just not how it works. That's right. You know, what's nice is, you know, I do see progression with humanity in that we've gotten smarter and we've recognized that there isn't just one path to getting somewhere or to solving a problem or to creating a business. As I mentioned earlier, you know, with assessments, um, what we're finding is candidates come onto the platform and they're rejected by our algorithm. That's funny. Right. Built by humans that guide it. And with our assessments, they, they go and take flying colors. They're put back onto the platform with a badge. They get a ton of interview requests and then they land a job and everyone's happy, including the employer. So uh, so there's this whole movement of whether it's engineering or marketing or some other function of really a skill-based resume where it's just about your skills and your experience versus everything else, Yeah, right? Like traditional work history, companies and things like that. So it'd be interesting to see in the next couple of years when we think about future of work, what happens? Well, and that's what's so exciting about a place like Hired, I think, because you have the amount of data to, you know, have some bottom-up refinement. And like, that's part of the thing I think that's so so cool about it. I, we always call this, uh, you know, and now for something completely different, right? I, I heard this great, this hiring manager, what they do is they allow candidates to just get a redo. So like, if you went in there and you just felt like your best foot was not forward, you know, you drank too much coffee in the morning or whatever, you know, you had water in your shoe, that you could just like within 24 hours, just say like, hey, I just want to completely redo it of the thing. Like how many times does that happen? Where like you just have <laughs> a bad ever. day, right? <laughs> so like, you know, there's there's just all sorts of things in there that like, you know, we're humans and it's You just gave me some really great ideas for, you know, a campaign. Like what would you redo in your career? Yeah. <laughs> what would you redo in your day? I <laughs> love it. Yeah. I mean, and and that's the sort of stuff that's exciting, you know, part of the reason why we're excited to talk to you is it's such a emotional needy, scary proposition to put yourself out there to get hired. Like it That's is, right. it is That's brutal. Right. And so therefore right. the things that you can do as a marketer that mm-hmm. can appeal to all of those base human emotions is much more, it's just, you have a lot more fodder to work with uh, and chances and to be It's incredibly rewarding. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are making a big impact, right? Um, you know, with our, mission statement of finding everyone a job that they love. It just feels so good. Every workshop we do and the feedback that we get, honestly, it feels great. So what's what's next for Hired? What are the things that you're working on that are really exciting to you and some of the some of the your favorite campaigns that you're working on? For the fall, we have a, another annual campaign. It's called our brand health. And what we do is we survey candidates on our platform and we ask them to rank the top companies that they want to work for in each of the 14 cities that we're in. And what often, almost always, if I were to predict, year after year, what comes out is it's less about money, salary, and kind of the hard benefits of compensation. It really is about making a difference in the world, making impact, the types of projects a company's mission statement. And so we do the same thing where we take the data, very consumer-focused data, 
And we share that with our employers and we do a whole, you know, educational series on employer brand and our employers love it. Our candidates love it. So that's our next big campaign in the fall. Well, and I think, I mean. Oh, I have to, I have to say this because it was my proudest moment as a marketer. Elon Musk tweeted that SpaceX was ranked as top 10. Yeah. Yes. Um, in one of our, yeah, for this campaign, I think it was two years ago, maybe it was last year. And um, and that was super wild. We were like, wow. That's so cool. <laughs> he, he, he was the inspiration of Iron Man. We're like, oh, thanks, Elon. Yeah, yeah. Iron Man. <laughs> That's it. You know, and it's stuff like that. I, it's a great segue to the thing that I was just going to say, which is every single year, CEO priorities come out and every single year, hiring or retaining talent is number one, specifically technical talent. That's but right. Hiring and retaining talent is their number one priority. You know, people are the company, therefore it's the most thing. Conversely, it's got to be one of the smallest budgets in the company. You know, like when when I was working with talent acquisition folks, it's like HR is the smallest budget, talent has the smallest budget, diverse talent, uh, you know, diversity recruiting has the smallest talent within <laughs> uh, you know, uh recruiting. And therefore it's you're just kind of like, you know, stuck out. The thing that I always found interesting, we talked about this a little bit on the show, companies like Bank of America that has like Bank of America Stadium where the the Panthers play, they do things like, oh, they have a veteran hiring program that they want to promote. All of the ads at Bank of America Stadium are about, you know, the veterans that work at Bank of America. There's so many creative ways for marketers in their marketing copy, in their campaigns to add in talent and it's so rarely done. Why do you think that is? Oh, it's these artificial boundaries, right? And we kind of touched upon this, right? Like, you know, there was an artificial boundary between B2C and B2B marketers. And I had to change that, right? So oftentimes we just gravitate towards these silos, probably because it's just, that was just our attention span or, you know, just what was expected of us. We just gravitate towards these silos and we don't think holistically about problems, right? So that's why, you know, our CEOs out there evangelizing, hey, you know, when you think about your company moving forward in a big way and bringing revenue and creating product, right? It's not just a sales funnel, right? Think about your talent, your people funnel as well. And so the more we just integrate our thinking and solve problems holistically, the better off we'll be, you know, because we're leaving a lot of Honestly, messaging and dollars on the table. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, you know who does a great job of this and they've had their own struggles, but PG&E has done a great job with their advertising mm-hmm. of showing who the poll men and women are. Who are the people that are out there that are working love, on love. your stuff? And like it, first of all, it makes you like PG&E because you're like, oh, these are actual people in our community. Like, oh, the guy who works down the street from me in Oakland, lives in Oakland. Like, that's pretty cool. He grew up, like, you know, down the street from me. Love. Um, It's the human emotion that you're connecting to. Yeah. But it's like, that's the thing that's likable. You know, one of the companies that we're working with is is someone that has like a very, you know, and for those that were, there's nothing out there yet now, but they have a very difficult product in that it is very secretive and they can't tell customer stories because that's proprietary. Mm. There's lots of things they can't share. But one of the things they can't, they do have is these really cool employees with these amazing backgrounds. Amazing. And they never tell those stories. And so a lot of times, like you get like the the company, your brand image, a lot of times is like up on the tower thing. 
But in reality, it's like it's a group of humans that are really trying to do great work, Mm -hmm. trying to do amazing things that help humanity. Um, Mm -hmm. And that doesn't come across when you're like the brand that gets talked about by TechCrunch or like, you know, gets hit pieces by, you know, whatever it is. So there's a lot of companies like that that I think could really benefit from sharing their hiring stuff. Like it's just so human centric. And it just blows my mind. People don't do it more. That's right. I don't want to give it all away, but there is a very human-centric campaign that I'm looking to run with candidates next year. Oh, yeah. awesome. Yeah, so yeah. stay tuned for that. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> um, so what skills have you found that are most difficult to acquire on your marketing team? And I know you have potentially some open recs here coming up soon. So this is for those who are listening who are looking to, to work uh, you know, for Katrina you know, keep your ears perked up? Uh, The opening is in marketing operations. It's a head of marketing operations. Oh, no kidding. That's fun. Yes, I know. That role is pretty highly coveted. Uh, You know, I almost think of them as engineers. You're you're like the engineering of marketing. Not only do you, you know, kind of get to play with really cool marketing tech, right? You interface with all the campaign managers, And I can go on and on, but you're really the foundation of marketing and you're the glue between marketing strategy and marketing results. In terms of hardest skills to find, I think that being a data-driven marketer, these days I almost feel that that is table stakes. You have to kind of understand how to empower yourself as a marketer by leveraging data, whether it's a data-focused campaign or um, using data to illustrate ROI to justify more budget. I actually think the harder skills to find are soft skills and EQ. Mm-hmm. When I think about core competencies, that's a competitive advantage when you're able to manage uh, different teams, work better for others. You do well managing cross-functional uh, sponsors, um, so on and so forth. But yeah, if anyone is interested, get in touch. Love it. We'll link it up in the show notes. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing automation with Pardot, you can go to pardot.com slash podcast to learn more about B2B marketing on the world's number one CRM. These questions are lightning round style. Are you ready? (laughs) Yes. Number one. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? I feel a little nerdy, but Blinkist, I think that's how you say it. But uh, it's quick summaries for books that you're interested in reading. I do that mostly for business books. Yeah, they do. And they do a good job advertising. I get ads for them all the time. Mm -hmm. Ad campaign that you've seen recently that you're envious of? It's not recent. Um, I was thinking about this. New Relic about 10 years ago, so definitely not recent, <laughs> ran a campaign. And I think it was Patrick Morin was the CMO and it was about a data nerd. And uh, he humanized New Relic, you know, that I, that I still remember. And I knew nothing about New Relic. I was like, I think it's highly technical. I have no idea what they do. But it was, I gravitated towards it because it was just that human component. He made it real, a very technical product. And he was like, it was just all these images of different types of data nerds. And I loved it. Loved it. There's another one, and, and you guys leverage Alex Baldwin, but I think I first saw him when Domo did a commercial mm. with him on it. That was also 
I, I was like, I want a celebrity. I was envious. I'm like, I want to do a commercial with celebrity. <laughs> hey, you're talking to the right people. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk after this. Because <laughs> Great. We, uh, so we have... With a, with a, Okay, budget. <laughs> yeah. No, well, that's the funny thing is, uh, you know, secret for our listeners, if you give them a good script, then celebrities will, will want to work with Really? Them. Really? That's, that's we'll have key. to chat after. Yeah, yeah. Thank it's, you. Uh, it's, it's when you are just kind of like promoting your brand stuff that prices get a lot higher. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if we've announced this yet on the podcast, but we have, uh, we're doing some work with Olivia Wilde here coming up. And she's oh, just nice. Awesome. Yeah, super fun. That is great. Congratulations. Thanks. Favorite musician? Hmm. Lady Gaga. All right. Um, yes, Lady Gaga. Favorite book or podcast you've read or listened to recently? Podcast Gen X Amplified as a fellow Gen Xer. Uh, this podcast just talks about everything our generation deals with, the workplace. It's by a marketer, and it just touches upon the generation between the smallest generation, I believe, between boomers and millennials. I love it. That's super fun. Yeah, I'll check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, thing you're most excited about for the future marketing? This convergence, it allows B2B marketers to be even more creative. Yeah, just, you know, we we get to do all the fun things that, you know, B2C marketers uh, have always been doing. Best advice for a first-time head of marketing? I think that sometimes getting to our goals could be so, um, it could take so much out of you, your team, but really think about building the relationships with your peers. So this is product, and not just with sales, goes without saying, but with product, with engineering, and with finance. Uh, so that's usually where the learning curve is when you're ahead of. What question do you never get asked as head of marketing that you wish you were asked more often? What marketers do for fun or what I do yeah, for well, fun? I, what, what do you do for fun? <laughs> I am an avid snowboarder and oh. I still do the half pipe. Not, you yes, do the half and I pipe? started snowboarding in 1999. Yes, I do. That is pretty <laughs> epic. Um, and I do try to get up to Tahoe almost every weekend um, in uh, in the wintertime. So and my favorite trip was out to the Swiss Alps last year. So yep. you're shredding the half pipe. <laughs> you're a legend. That's amazing. So are you doing like tricks? These days, I don't get that much air, yeah. but um, not not what you would imagine a trick to be. But in my own little way, I'm doing small tricks. I, I mean, small tricks on the half pipe. <laughs> I've, I went down a half pipe once. I went down the directly through the center and then did the jump at the end and uh, sprained my MCL. And that was the last oh time I gosh. did that. <laughs> Here's my tip. It's actually a lot easier when it's icy. I know that sounds mm. crazy, but you're not going to get stuck as much. And yes, go when it's slightly icy. <laughs> well, this podcast was nothing icy about it. This was super fun. Uh, thanks so much for for coming on. It was great having you in studio. And uh, we're just really excited to follow along what you're doing at Hired. Oh, and everyone check out Open Rack. We'll link it up for your team. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. 
World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes, and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.